This is The Fit Mess with Zach and Jeremy. A new president has been elected. Meanwhile, COVID cases across the nation skyrocket. Schools are closed or closing. Millions of people are out of work. Racial division rages on and the earth is still burning. Other than that, everything's great. All of these are some of the largest crises the country and parts of the world and likely you have ever faced. So what do you do when faced with a crisis? Do you feel yourself in a fight or flight mode? And how can you turn these obstacles into opportunities? These are some of the issues we'll discuss with our guest this week. Dr. Jim Taylor is the author of How to Survive and Thrive When Bad Things Happen, Nine Steps to Cultivating an Opportunity Mindset in a Crisis. So I don't know about you, Zach, but I think a lot of people spent a lot of time last week watching TV. That was the big election, and uh, many people, pretty much every American, was waiting to see what was going to happen hoping that their guy was going to win. And I, you know, I found myself, I'd started the week, uh, getting a lot of things back on track. I'd, I'd been, I had my diet sort of in, in line. I was working out, I was doing the things I needed to do. And then when it came time to find out what the answer to this big question that we've been wondering for two years was going to be, I could not leave my TV screen. Mm-hmm. And this thing that was wildly beyond my control Everything that I could do about it, I did weeks ago, but I allowed it to completely take over my life and disrupt my routine, disrupt everything that I had, that I had built on, and it just crumbled to the ground. Yeah, same, kind of the same thing at, at our house. I, I was able to maintain all of my working out and eating right and all of that, but every night my wife and I sit down on the couch after everything is done mm-hmm. and we watch a little bit of TV and for the entire week, I was already on the couch. Yep. I already had the TV on. I already had the news on. And my wife kept sitting down going, oh, we're doing this again. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's such a great example of what I think so many people have been doing for the last nine months, 10 months, wherever we're at now with COVID. I mean, we've, we've all been told to stay home. Don't go out. Don't go do things. And you know, our, our kids' lives are disrupted. They're either virtually at school or they're at school until they get sent home because somebody's been exposed to something. And so I know a lot of people are sort of waiting for things to settle down, waiting for the, the racial unrest to stop, for the protests to stop, waiting for COVID to get fixed through some magic vaccine that we'll all get overnight in the, and we can all just go back to work, whatever it's going to be. But there is this sense that I get from so many people that I hear from that people are just sort of waiting for Mm -hmm. things to change. And the harsh reality is they're not gonna, this is normal. This is not time that, that our lives are on pause. And when this is over, we get to pick back up where we left off. We're, we're burning time of our life now, probably at least a year that we could be doing other things that we could have our lives on track, doing all the things that we are going to do someday. And I've been as much a victim of, of this. uh, And I say victim, I'm the one perpetrating this against myself, but I'm as guilty of this as anybody of, of sort of waiting for things to get better so that I can get back on track. Yeah. Same thing here. It's, it took me a long time to realize that, I was waiting for normal life to come back so I could get back on track with everything that I had. And we talked about it a few episodes ago, like how much grief there is in this and Mm -hmm. how much we lost and realizing that all of those things that you just said, 
are now normal and we need to build our habits and our structure around that to, to continue to be healthy mentally and physically and, and do the things that we need to do under this new normal. When you mentioned grief too, I mean, that, that is a huge part of this and grief, you know, struggle, suffering is all longing for something to be other than the way it is. And the Mm -hmm. sooner that you can acknowledge that this is the way it is, everything, you know, outside of me is beyond my control. Then a lot of that grief and a lot of that suffering can dissolve and you can find yourself back at a place where you can now make decisions about how am I going to eat? How am I going to move my body? How am I going to interact with other people? You know, how much am I going to participate in a political process? Whatever thing it is, I think it's a lot harder to do while you still sit in that grief, waiting for it to go away by the waving of a magic wand from someone else. Yep. And I don't believe in magic wands. There's not a whole lot that's going to happen that I have any power over. So like you said, it's just. Well, power over and and faith in, you know, I mean, Back to the to the COVID topic. I mean, you know, when Doctor uh, Doctor Anthony Fauci said uh, around the time that the World Series wrapped up, he said by this time next year we should be able to have a normal World Series. Should be able are the key words there. Should, but we don't know. We don't know how yeah. effective this vaccine is going to be. We don't know how willing people are going to be to take it. We don't know what long term side effects. Like, okay, great, maybe this thing works. And maybe it gives us all cancer in five years. I don't know. I'm. This is way beyond my comprehension and the way that these things work. And I'm not trying to say vaccines are bad. I, I believe in science. I believe in vaccinations. But there's just so much we don't know about a process that's been so rushed. And yeah. I'm not here to debate you know, the validity of, of COVID or, or vaccinations. I'm just pointing out that we don't know what the future holds. All we know is what is real now. And all we can control is how we react to now. Yeah. On the, on the topic of the vaccine, I have a, that's such a struggle for me because I I'm dealing with the crisis of that choice now, because you're right. This is being rushed. There's no long-term studies on it. We don't know what it's going to do to us over time. So while I want to get back to normal life, I want to live in a world where COVID doesn't, I'm hesitant to take a vaccine that would give me that life back. Yeah. And I think, uh, I think a lot of people definitely feel that way, but ultimately, you know, the point of all of this is that there is so much uncertainty. There is so much that we don't know about the way that the future is going to look. And so rather than waiting to see what it's going to look like for the next six months, six years, however long it's going to take, all we have is now and we have to react to now. And the way that we react to now is entirely up to us. We can choose what to do with this moment and, and to either let the moment happen to us or take advantage of it and turn these obstacles into opportunities. Well, I am going to have to clear that with my wife, though, first. <laughs> That's true. None of us does anything without, uh, without the wife's <laughs> approval. So how do we react to now? How much of our fight or flight is being triggered by all of these problems that the world, that the country, that you are facing? For some of the answers to this, we turn to an expert. His name is Dr. Jim Taylor. He has a new book out. It is called How to Survive and Thrive When Bad Things Happen, Nine Steps to Cultivating an Opportunity Mindset in a Crisis. This is such an important thing for so many people to hear right now. 
And he has so many great tips to help you just sort of start to shift your mindset, to start to acknowledge that this is reality. This is normal. And what you need to do to capitalize on it, to make the most of it. We had a chance to talk to him just a few weeks ago about his long career studying what you need to know to manage one or multiple crises. I have a PhD in psychology, and for many years I've worked with high-level performers in business, sports, medicine, um, tactical, and um, I've also been a high-level athlete myself. And and really, really what what I focus on is critical performance, is how do people perform when it really matters? Mm -hmm. And clearly, with our current crisis, what I I characterized in a recent blog post um, is a perfect storm of crises, Mm -hmm. Um, political, moral health, economic, the list goes on. And, and so we are challenged in a lot of ways how we can respond to the, this perfect storm of crises in a way that might ne- not necessarily solve the problem immediately, but will help us get through it in the most positive and constructive way. I, I'd never really thought about it until preparing for this interview, but there are varying degrees of crisis. There's, I lost my job and there's global pandemic. Do we, either from just a a practical standpoint and even a physiological standpoint, do we respond to them differently depending on how severe they are? Well, it's a very good question. And I think a key couple of key things. First of all, we all know what a crisis is viscerally. But I th- what I try to do in, in my book, which came out in uh, just last year, so before any of this happened, was um, really help people understand what it is, what a crisis is, because that understanding helps us manage it better. It helps us be, feel more in control. It helps us really figure out how best to respond. So a couple things about a crisis. First of all, they're unexpected. And certainly nobody expected um, COVID to pop up, that's for sure, and all the other things that came with it. It also, most powerfully, it disrupts our lives. It creates instability. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we humans do not like. We are not wired to like instability. Because instability creates three things that humans really, really don't like. They don't like unfamiliarity. Um, unpredictability and lack of control. And this goes back to our cave people days, 250,000 years ago in the Serengeti when we first became human beings. Um, another thing, a key thing about a, a crisis is that it has some kind of trauma. And the trauma can be come in many forms. It can be physical, psychological, social, emotional, economic, political, what have you. And what can be quite problematic is it triggers a sense of urgency, like we need to react now. And I can describe some of why that is in a little bit, but that's my basic notion of the qualities, the aspects of a crisis. And as as you indicated, there are many different types of crises. Um, The list goes on, personal, health, safety, relationships, financial, governmental, societal, environmental, natural disasters. We have Hurricane Laura going on now, which is just adding to the problem. Mm -hmm. And so we're being hit in so many different ways. So it's so important that we be able to not just react, but step back and figure out how can we move forward in, in, a, in, a, in a healthy way. In my line of work, crisis hit very quickly. We have to deal with them and react very quickly. And then they're over very quickly. This is such a long and drawn out crisis. And as you mentioned, like just one thing after the other, after the other keeps adding on to this stuff. And you mentioned, you know, taking that step back and looking at it um, in a different way. How, how can somebody do that? So somebody like me, I see a crisis, I jump in and I react. 
how can I step back and take that bigger look? Okay. Well, I want to make a distinction between what I call primitive crises and modern crises. So we're wired through evolution to respond very quickly to, to what I call primitive crises. So let's go back to the Serengeti 250,000 years ago. A crisis would be a threat to our survival. And it might be a rival tribesman with a really big club or a saber-toothed tiger. And so it required us to have this very immediate reaction, but also the crises were very clear and they were tangible. So it was very clear what I need to do with this rival tribesman with a really big club. And I'll talk about that in a second. But today's crises, as you alluded to, they're often unforeseeable. Um, they're difficult to understand. Certainly COVID, it's hard to wrap your arms around how this has all happened. Also, in many ways, um, some of these crises are distant and indirect. And also, as you noted, they're delayed and lingering. So this is not just like a caveman, we need to fight or flight, fight or flee. How do we deal with this? And so another tough thing is that in those primitive crises, they're within our control. We can do something about it. Whereas with, with COVID, for example, yes, there are things we can do in our immediate vicinity, but overall, weak individuals can't find a cure for uh, a vaccine for COVID. So my, my basic idea is that what worked then doesn't work now because this immediate quick reaction simply isn't going to be effective in response to the crises that we're facing today. And, and that has led also in my book, I talk about this distinction in terms of what I call a crisis mentality and an opportunity mindset. And, and what you were talking about earlier really is, is a crisis mentality. And would you like me to sort of yeah, explain? Yeah, that? I, was, I was just going to ask yeah, you to expand please. on that. Okay. So uh, let me, if you'll give me a little latitude to provide a very brief neuroanatomy, brain anatomy lesson. <laughs> okay. There's a, structure, there's a structure at the base of the brain called the amygdala. And not only do we have it, but all, all creatures have some form of it. And it's basically the gateway for all information. And the purpose of the amygdala is to, to take that information in extremely quickly and then produce a response if necessary. So again, this served us extremely well in the Serengeti 250,000 years ago, where when faced with this immediate threat, we didn't have time to step back and go, Hmm, interesting. I wonder how we should deal with this situation. He does have a big club. He kind of looks pretty big and looks like he wants to pummel me to death. <laughs> because if we took that time, what was likely to happen? Well, we were going to get pummeled to death. Right, right. And we wouldn't survive. Um, and so what happened was it would produce very immediate, very powerful reactions. What we're very familiar with, the fight or flight reaction, where we would either um, experience very strong emotions such as anger to fight, or fear to flee, which would also produce very immediate reactions physiologically, increasing heart rate, respiration, adrenaline, blood flow. And we all know this feeling, um, for example, somebody cuts you off in, in traffic and you, and you barely avoid an accident. You didn't have to step back, step back and think about how to react. You just feel the adrenaline flow and you swerve. And so that crisis mentality, again, was very effective with those primitive crises. That, that instant and intense emotions, the frenzied reaction. But again, that reaction does not work well with modern crises. With regard to that, I wanted to ask, it seems many of us are prone to one or the other. We have an instinct to react quickly and instinctively and others run and, and flee the other way. Uh, is that genetic? Is that learned? Where does that come from? Yeah, it's wired into us through millions of years of evolution. 
and to, its, its singular goal was to, was to, was to ensure that we survived. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly in modern times, it does serve a purpose. Uh, like I said, if you're driving, if there's some sort of very immediate threat or crisis, but in terms of the, the crises that we're experiencing now with this perfect storm, um, it isn't effective because it doesn't help. We can't, we can't fight COVID mm-hmm. and we can't flee from it exactly. Although right. shelter in place has sort of caused us to have to do that to some degree. Um, so that crisis mentality simply is ineffective in today's crises. I guess, how do we manage that? How do we cope with not really being able to do anything when there's so many massive things happening at once? Sure, sure. The goal is to not just react to it. And so now here's a continuation of my mini neuroanatomy lesson. There's another part of the brain called the prefrontal cortex. And it's, a, it's sort of up in front of our, our for, behind our forehead. And the prefrontal cortex is involved in what's called executive functioning. And executive functioning involves basically thinking, being able to deliberate, look at options, look at choices, um, weigh risk reward, look at short term and long term, and, and then ultimately to make decisions from that. And this is something that has evolved only in humans. It's part of this thing up here that we have called the cerebral cortex. It separates us from animals. It gives us the ability to think about situations we're faced with. And the goal when a crisis strikes, like the, the pandemic, is to reroute that information through the amygdala. And it still might trigger the fight or flight, but again, it doesn't work. But then immediately have it trans, um, transfer and continue on to the prefrontal cortex, where we can then use that prefrontal cortex, our executive functioning, to engage in a, a thought process that will, in fact, actually help us get through these crises. And so a couple of things about that. First of all, maintaining sort of a positive can-do orientation. Like there are things we can do here. Now, running around frantically are not those things, but there are things we can do. Also, very importantly, being calm and purposeful. Again, don't freak out, no fight or flight, be able to step back and stay calm, as calm as you can anyway, and figure out a purpose here. So let's go through some deliberate thinking about how best to deal with this situation. And so, for example, let's um, wear a mask. Let's um, keep six feet away. Let's not interact with a lot of other people at the same time indoors. Mm -hmm. So there are things we can do that can, in fact, help us deal with that feeling of disruption and instability, the unfamiliarity, unfamiliarity, unpredictability, and lack of control. So there are things we can do in our world that can help us with that. And so what this does, it sort of short circuits our amygdala's reaction and enables us the time and the space to be able to come up with a plan for how best to deal with the situation we're in. So how does the, I don't want to say conflicting information, but how does the confusion around the people that are wrong (laughs) and the people that are saying wear a mask, how does that play into trying to respond to a crisis when, when you feel like the best thing I can do is wear a mask and stay away. And then you're sort of flooded with, in this case, a leader saying, ah, don't bother. It's a hoax. Everything's fine. How does that sure. play into this? Yeah, no, it, it makes things worse. And I don't want to get political here. Yeah, me either. I'm, that's not my point. But, yeah. Right, right. And, and um, but, but clearly, even with the World Health Organization, with the CDC, early on, they said certain things. Mm-hmm. And then as they gain more information to learn about it, they change the information. Mm-hmm. And so that creates confusion and that creates more stress, more, more triggering of our, of our, um, of our crisis uh, mentality. And so that makes it extra hard. And it's very important 
to be able to always go back to like, okay, what are the basics here? What do we really understand about this situation? And then do what we can, because in, invariably with a crisis like this that evolves, information is going to change about what works and what doesn't. So right. it does require a degree of flexibility, but unfortunately, when our amygdala gets triggered, our survival instinct gets triggered, our fight or flight gets triggered, flexibility is not really in the plans because that takes too much time. Right. At, at least the primitive part of our brain thinks that. So when the fight or flight instinct kicks in and you and you interrupt it and you talked about it a second ago a, a few things that you can do to to help interrupt it you mentioned positive mindset i am off the charts anxious so my my fight or flight is going nonstop all the time i don't have to have somebody cut me off i just get in the car and start it and it <laughs> fires so i spend my entire day getting in front of it and i would i want to hear your your if if you could a little bit more detail on like how does that positive mindset how does a positive message interrupt that signal and make that change in a person right right well because it counteracts all the negative emotions and those instincts that are just coursing through our through our veins and through our brains and 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 anything we can do that can take our mind off the immediacy of those feelings because they are as you as you indicated so compelling and so hard to resist. Again, resisting millions of years of evolution is a pretty significant task, that's for sure. And But a couple of things I find are really helpful. First of all, going back to our values. Now, again, I, I'm always a little reluctant to talk about the V word because it's been hijacked and it's become politicized and it's been used as a cudgel. But when I talk about values, I talk about the values that we can all agree on no matter where you live, no matter what your faith or politics, because values provide two things. First of all, especially when our lives get disrupted. It creates a sense of solid ground. Okay, so I'm going to go back to what I truly believe in. And that might be, if you're a person of faith, it might be faith. Um, it might be self-responsibility and ownership. Um, it might be taking care of my family and my community. That right there in, plays a big role in activating the prefrontal cortex and disengaging the amygdala. So simply going back to like, okay, what do I value? And what do I want to have happen in this crisis? What are my priorities? That really has a grounding effect. It also acts as a North Star. That is, a, it provides direction about where you want to go with all this. Mm -hmm. So I want to protect my family. I want to continue to do my job if I have one. Um, I want to be able to help my neighbors if they need help. So simply a discussion about this, anything that gets you out of that, that, that vicious cycle of threat, survival, fight or flight, and so on is really, really valuable. Um, another really powerful thing are the attitudes we hold. Um, and one particular one is victim versus master. That's an expression I use being a master of a situation. And though you, you think, well, I can't really master COVID, what you can master is yourself. And we do have that capacity to, have, to, 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 to engage control over how we think, what emotions we experience, how we act on the world, and how we react to the world. Because a lot of these days, it is about reacting to this ever-changing world. And so there's this tendency when presented with a threat of a crisis is to want to curl up in a ball, in bed, watching, binge-watching TV, and eating ice cream. <laughs> right. That kind of withdrawal, it, it provides, again, in a primitive sense, you're safe in your room. 
But in the broader sense, you're not because you're at the mercy of the world around you. And I'm a big believer that, that the more you can gain control of your world, and it might just be a very small thing in the world, but it's still your world. You create some mastery over it. That has a powerful effect on our psychology, our emotions, and our physiology. So look at our lives, especially during um, shelter in place. What can I do to make this as positive an experience as possible? And, and I really want to be, um, be sensitive to and empathetic to so many people in our country and around the world who have been directly hit by COVID, mm-hmm. where they either got COVID or, or they've lost family members or they've lost their jobs. Uh, we live in Northern California. And we're sort of in a bubble. I've known one person who has gotten COVID. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, my work has continued, so we're okay financially. And, and we, we follow the rules and we're safe. So our lives have been disrupted, but not in, in any major way compared to a lot of other people around this country and around the world. So I, I want to be respectful of that. Um, but even within that, it's it, approaching COVID and these other crises um, from a position of threat um, is a way, in, in a way, it, it's sort of adding insult to injury. Because the injury is all these things that are changing our lives with COVID, financially, health, politically, all these different ways. The insult, the, the insult to the injury is letting it really, really impact us. And I'm sure you've heard about how the rates of, of depression and anxiety and stress, particularly among young people, um, has just skyrocketed. And, and really what so many of us are experiencing is post-traumatic stress. And we're, and we're going to be seeing that in my professional belief, we're going to be seeing the effects of this for many years to come, especially among our children. So the more we, if, as parents and just as people, can, can handle the crises in a healthy and constructive and positive way, the better it will be, it will be for us, but also very powerfully for our kids. Because for them, this is scary. Mm-hmm. This is super scary especially the younger ones. And they don't know what this means. They just means people are getting sick and dying. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And so if we as parents are freaking out, that sends a very scary message to our children. So if, if for any other reason, then our kids, let's get our act together. And I was going to drop the S word, but I wasn't going to say, it. <laughs> um, not to say it. Um, get our act together and, 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 and respond with that opportunity mindset, because you know, we can't change a lot of the realities of, of COVID and these other challenges around us. But what we can do is be a master of us. And, and that alone will mitigate a lot of the downsides that come with the experience we're having, this once-in-a-lifetime in a experience. It's funny that you mentioned that. My, my wife found out she was losing her job. But I know that for me, the, the initial instinct was, oh man, we're screwed. What, what are we going to do? But then, you know, a day or two went by and we had time to sort of process that and really, like you were saying, like step back, think about what's really going on here, assess the threat. And ultimately it's already turned into a, a positive for both of us. I ended up finding some, some extra side work that's brought in a lot more money, a lot more quickly than I thought it would. She was basically headhunted and, and offered a, a job right away. And so, so it was interesting. I remember having a mental shift a couple of days into that process of just thinking, this is going to be better. This is, I, I can't believe what an opportunity this is rather than a scary situation. And, and that really sounds like what you're talking about is, is when you have the time to process it, you can flip these things into opportunities. Yes, very much so. And, and what I've heard, especially the first couple of months of, of this, and it's been a fascinating arc 
in terms of our experience of COVID from the first month or two to now we're heading towards six months in how it's affecting us. Mm -hmm. But initially I heard a lot of people saying, this is really wonderful yeah. because it's enabled me to spend more time with my family. I'm not commuting in a an hour and a half a day. Um, I can focus on myself a little more. I have more time to do things that, that I particularly value and, and seeing this as, as disruption can be seen as very threatening in a primitive sense, but disruption of our lives can in fact be very healthy because as long as we're in our normal lives, we're probably not going to make any major changes, even though we're not necessarily happy in those lives mm -hmm. because we create this world around us that supports the, our, what we do for a living, the people we hang out with, where we live, our activities. And the, and the fact is though, again, it's hard to change thing aspects of our lives when we're, we have these routines and patterns and habits. Mm -hmm. So this disruption in our lives can be so beneficial because it's caused us to have to sit back, reflect, and reconsider and maybe do a reset in terms of uh, in terms of what kind of lives we want to lead and that could be macro like moving to northern idaho and living off the grid that's mm -hmm. a pretty extreme not likely to happen for most of us or simply maybe saying you know i'm going to eat better or i'm going to reach out to my extended family that i haven't had time for or i'm going to exercise or i'm going to uh, learn a new learn to play the guitar or whatever it might be mm -hmm. so again it's this idea of of resisting the, the negative spin of a lot of these experiences and seeing them as opportunities to reconsider ourselves, maybe to reinvent ourselves. And at the very least, a little disruption can be healthy as long as the consequences, of course, aren't too major. My, my wife and I have now, you know, for, for years, we've been saying, you know, when, when we retire, we're going to find a nice place on the beach and that, and that's going to be it. And now through this, a, I got to spend so much more time with my family, which was awesome. But through this, we've now realized that we don't have to live where we work. Like right. that, that's going to stick around. So now we're talking about, well, let's go find that place now and spend 20 more years at the beach. And it, you know, we're, it disrupted us to the point where we're going to go make a positive change. That's great. I think that one of the challenges, at least here, we have a, we have a second home in the mountains about three hours from San Francisco, and we've had it for a number of years, but this real estate market there is just insane mm -hmm. because everybody from the city and the suburbs want to get out Yeah, and for safety reasons, because there's lower rates up there because it's so isolated, but also because they don't need to be in an office now. Yeah. And yep. so why not live in the mountains? So that's a wonderful example of, of normally you probably wouldn't have thought of that, but this mm -hmm. is, this has caused you to go, huh, why not start enjoying that place on the beach? when I'm 40 or however old you are, rather than when I'm 65. Yeah, yep. absolutely. What are, what are maybe one or two takeaways that people can take into the world as it is and, and try and find ways to flip this and find that opportunity if they haven't already? Sure. Uh, maybe I can offer maybe more than one or two, but a couple of quick ones sure. that I think are valuable. First of all, there's a tendency when faced the crisis to lose motivation not want to work, not want to exercise, not want to do anything. Again, it's that call, curling up in your ball on your bed. And my first recommendation is reignite your motivation. Find something that excites you and throw yourself into it. That is an incredible, incredible tool for dealing with the stressors and the uncertainty of a crisis. Having a purpose. Um, for me, um, it's been triathlon. I got back into doing triathlons last summer and I'm just working out a ton, getting ready for races, whenever they might be. <laughs> right. So, so, so whatever it might be, find something to get excited about, to get motivated about and throw yourself into it. Um, second is control the controllables. 
So identify what in your life you can control and then what in your life you can't control. Don't obsess. Don't focus on the things you can't control. And then really make an effort to gain control of the things you can control. Um, also, generate positive emotions. So by its very nature, COVID and all these other crises, they create anger, frustration, disappointment, despair, fear, this tsunami of negative emotions, incredibly unpleasant. So we have to much more actively go out and generate positive emotions, whether it's listening to music, reading, having a nice dinner, um, hanging out with friends six feet away with masks on, of course, or remotely. Um, anything that can actively generate positive emotions will, will reduce the power and the frequency of all those negative emotions. Two last things. Uh, one is stay connected. So I wrote a blog post for um, San Francisco Chronicle, the big paper here, a while ago, um, where I, I said that social distancing is the wrong goal. Because we, more than anything now, we need to connect with people. Mm -hmm. Because one of the most the research shows that one of the most powerful um, buffers of stress is social support. So we don't need to socially distance. We need to physically distance, yes. But we need to be stay connected. We need to stay connected so much more than before. So really make a conscious effort to reach out to people safely, of course, or remotely, and connect with people and stay connected. Mm -hmm. Lastly, gratitude. This is another one of those things that seems so small, and yet um, the research shows that it is so connected to happiness and well-being. Simply being grateful, whether over dinner, everybody at, at the table sharing something they're grateful for, or I, I do this every time I go out to the, to the grocery store or to the gas station or anywhere where there are essential workers, and I express my gratitude now because they are the unspoken heroes of this crisis. They're the ones who are at risk. They're the ones who are doing what needs to be done while we're safe at home. So just every opportunity you have, be grateful to somebody because it makes you feel good, and I can tell you, it makes the other person feel good too. The book is How to Survive and Thrive When Bad Things Happen, Nine Steps to Cultivating an Opportunity Mindset in a Crisis. That was Dr. Jim Taylor. Fascinating conversation, and uh, he, he brought up some excellent points that I think are really important to highlight. And one of the biggest, and it's a struggle for me, is what he talked about in terms of physical distancing, not social distancing. Making sure that we are staying connected to our support systems, our friends, our family whether that's over Zoom, whether that's Skype, whether it's you know six feet apart in the front yard, whatever it's going to be. This is a tough one for me because I, uh, I'm not a wildly social person. I don't enjoy parties. I don't enjoy being around a bunch of people. We talked about this a little bit uh, on our last episode with Andre Solo from the Highly Sensitive Refuge. I don't, I don't sit here longing to go hang out with my friends. It's, it's really tough for me to do. Frankly, you know, Zach, you and I t probably text five to six days uh, a week to each other, even if it's just a, a funny joke, something, but like you are my lifeline to other people. Beyond <laughs> that, I don't really talk to anyone outside of my house. That's a really piss poor lifeline. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it's, but for me, it's enough, right? Like I don't, I don't need long hour long zoom calls with small talk and how you doings and, and whatnot. Um, yeah. but on the flip side of that, uh, my family has been, uh, really enjoying going hiking, which is great. My, my youngest daughter is now old enough that she's, she's getting riskier. She's, she's five. So she wants to get out and 
test her limits and do her things. So over the weekend, we got together with some friends uh, in our neighborhood that, you know, we all masked up. We went for a hike out in the mountains and it was awesome. Like just, just to see my kids having that social interaction. Cause it's easy for me to forget how much they need it because I don't, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe I do need it, but I don't want it. So it's a whole other thing, but, <laughs> but it was, it was really nice to, you know, despite wearing a mask to experiencing, experience something normal. And, and that can be sort of, um, invigorating. It can sort of revive your interest in life because when you don't leave your house six or seven days a week, uh, that becomes a little too normal. Mm-hmm. And I, and yep. you guys are, are doing the same thing, right? You guys are going to start getting outside. Yeah. So we, my wife is a big skier. My daughter's learning how to ski. I learned to ski when I was, um, when I had my sense of mortality about me. So mm-hmm. I was never super excited about screaming down a hill really mm-hmm. fast on things that that don't have like a brake pedal right i know you can stop but like i'm, I'm big on brakes to, yeah i'm yeah. big on brakes I'm, I'm with you so unfortunately we actually live about 15 minutes away from uh it's not a full mountain it's a it's a ridge but it's it's this really cool little uh ski ridge that is built for people to learn how to ski mm-hmm. so there's like the chairlift is really 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 short but my daughter's learning how to ski. So I signed up for lessons. My wife who has been skiing her whole life signed up for lessons mm. and we bought seasons passes to this place. And we're just going to, whenever I have a lesson, they're going to go skiing. When, when one of them has a lesson, the other two are going to go skiing. Nice. So we're just going to go skiing all winter and we get our exercise. We get outside. We'll socialize a little bit, but this is the new normal. Yeah. We have to figure out new things to do and it's freezing cold in New York. So go out and enjoy it. Yeah. But I wouldn't have considered this last year. I would have been, well, Natalie needs to know how to ski. So we'll get her lessons and I'll bring her to the lessons, but, Mm -hmm. and I'll go skiing here and there, but I'm not super interested in it. But now that's like my only opportunity to get out of the house in the wintertime here. Right. Unless I want to go to a place where other people are congregating and I don't want to do that. Well, so. and it can't get a lot safer, right? I mean, you've got some sort of face cover because it's super cold. You've got mm-hmm. goggles, so you're super covered there. The sun you're wearing is gloves. Yeah, the sun is likely shining, so you got the yep. UV protection. I mean, and you're you've got to be well spaced apart, otherwise you crash into each other and die. I mean, it, it doesn't get a lot better in terms of uh, making the most of a shitty situation. Yeah. So, but I wouldn't have considered that last year, but this year it's like this, what a great opportunity to change my life. Yeah. And that's, this is exactly what we're talking about is looking at this moment and what can I do differently to adapt to this normal? My family is uh, taking some relatively extreme measures. We are considering making a big move. Uh, My, my wife is Canadian. So we're considering moving up to Canada and it's, it's a huge cultural shift for us. I mean, I shouldn't say huge. I mean, it's still North America. It's not going to be, you know, we don't have to learn a new language. We do not, we do have to learn the metric system, which is, that's not going to be easy, but, but we're considering making a move up there because it is from a COVID standpoint, a lot safer. The area we're looking, the numbers are, are almost non-existent. It's a much safer environment. It's a cheaper place to live. Like, and I'm, and I'm not trying to highlight that other than we're sort of taking stock of everything and going, what, what do we want from this moment and what can we control? Do we want to stay in a place where 
the disease is rampant and there's no sign that it's going to go away? Or do we want to take a chance on something that might be a little safer? The point is, what can you do with this moment? What can you do to adapt to this normal to make the most of it rather than waiting for it to go away? Because how long are you willing to wait? How much of your life are you willing to give up in front of the TV? This last week maybe was an exception for a lot of us. Maybe it felt a little too familiar, but just you know, doom scrolling, looking at Facebook, looking at all the things, staring at CNN or Fox or whatever you're watching, all of that stuff is also just preventing you from living the life that you probably want to live. And if you're listening to the show, you're not coming to us to hear us tell you to sit on the couch and watch TV. You know, so that's, that's a really easy way to start making some changes. Turn off Netflix, only look at Facebook once a week, like whatever, whatever limitations you can put on that stuff is only going to help you find that there's all this time that was being sucked away by a screen. And you know, there's no better lesson than the hike that I was on with my kid. She, she brought, uh, you know, a, a digital camera to take pictures and the whole time she's taking pictures and then looking at the pictures of the things she took while walking up the mountain, like experiencing it, she's staring at a screen. So that's an, uh, just another, just a quick takeaway. If, if there's a way to limit that, limit your screen time, limit your social media, again, it's a, it's a great way to just take a simple step to finding ways to respond to now rather than just letting those things suck your time and energy away. If you can put a timer on Facebook and Instagram, I will say from experience, if you put a limit of say 10 or 15 minutes on each one of them, you will be surprised how quickly you hit it. Just to quickly nerd out for a minute. I know you can do that on Android. Do you know of a, of a um, Apple setting to do that or, or an app? Yeah, if you have an Apple, you can use they there's an app called Screen Time that you can set limits. Um, I think you I think it's called app limits uh, with an Apple. And then in on an Android phone, there's digital well-being where you can also set uh, limits on how long you can use an app for. Oh, nice. Well, cool. I'm I I you know, I need that as much as anybody. So I'll be experimenting that with that myself uh, in in the days ahead. I can tell you one thing I'm not gonna change. Mm. Is I'm going to keep enjoying athletic beers, non-alcoholic <laughs> athletic beers, while I'm either watching TV and not doing the things that I need to do, or if I'm doing the things I need to do to change, I'm going to continue to drink athletic beers. They, they are a sponsor of the show, and it's so funny because I love following them on social media because they, through their product, they promote the lifestyle that I want to live. Really outdoorsy, living life to the fullest, all the things. So on my hike, I brought some athletic beers to the top of the mountain. And nice. when we got up there, I cracked a couple. And it was so cool because, well, there were a number of reasons, but I got I got to share, you know, having some beers with a friend and with my wife. And that was just a, a nice feeling. It was a great way to, to cap off the climb up to the top. But then on the way down, about halfway, I realized back in the day, I would have brought a real beer. And right now I would feel exhausted because I had that beer and like just the the relaxation of the alcohol would have kicked in and I would just be wanting to get to the bottom because I would be so tired. And mm-hmm. I was like, I actually still feel great. This is awesome. So, uh, and, and to hear my friend go, oh my God, that's amazing. I can't believe how good that is. So this is turning into a raging commercial for them, which is fine, but we just, we believe in it and it's fun to have it as a part of our life because we both used to enjoy a beer or nine and, uh, and to be able to have one that tastes this good while living uh, an active lifestyle is, is really fun. 
All right. Well, before we get out of here, a, a quick thank you to our guest, uh, Dr. Jim Taylor. Again, we just want to mention the book. It is How to Survive and Thrive When Bad Things Happen, Nine Steps to Cultivating an Opportunity Mindset in a Crisis. We have a link to that on our website. And while you're on our website, go ahead and sign up for our newsletter. Like many of you have in the last uh, week or so, uh, welcome to the show. When you sign up to the newsletter, we will uh, keep you up to date on, on new episodes to make sure you don't miss them. We'll sign you up for uh, opportunities to win books from the various authors we speak with and other prizes that will be coming down the pike uh, here shortly. For example, in the next couple of episodes, we may or may not be giving out an Amazon gift card to help you with that Christmas shopping. Well, where do I sign up? I'll tell you. Thefitmess.com is our website. While you're there, subscribe to the show on whatever podcast player you use to, to listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and for your ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts or, again, wherever you get your podcasts. And please spread the word. The more folks you tell about the show that uh, may find it useful, the, the better it is for all of us. So thanks so much for being there and being part of our little community. We will be back next week with a brand new episode at thefitmess.com. See you, everyone. We know this podcast is amazing and does not seem to lack anything, but we do need a legal disclaimer. Jeremy and Zach are not doctors. They do not play them on the Internet, and even if they did play them on the Internet, they would be really bad at it. Please consult your physician prior to implementing any changes that you heard on this podcast. The listener assumes that Jeremy and Zach do not know what they are talking about and that you will do your own research on the topics talked about on this podcast.